You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. If you've been paying attention to the news for the last, I don't know how many months, months. several months, and also maybe, hopefully, you've gotten your June-July issue of The Lutheran Witness. Great article in this month's issue. Taking a look at the Russia-Ukraine war, our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Shaw. He's Director of Church Relations for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dr. Shaw, thank you for joining us on The Coffee Hour. Thank you for the invitation. Very happy to discuss this. Thank you for your insightful article in the June-July issue of The Lutheran Witness, taking a look at this important issue of the Russia-Ukraine war. Let's begin with what questions should we ask to understand if we should even be involved in this war? What are the questions we should be asking even to get to that point to understand if we should be involved? That's a great intro question for Christians. The most important question is, what does this have to do with my life as a Christian? That's it. And so that divides the just war, Russia-Ukraine question into two parts, the kingdom of the left part and the kingdom of the right part. When we say kingdom, we mean how God ruled. And he ruled on the left-hand side through government, and civil authorities, and he rules on the right-hand side by the eternal gospel and the sacrament of Christ. So there's two ways that God's rule, God rules. One is a hidden way, which doesn't look much like righteousness when you see the carnage and destruction of war. And then he ruled on the right-hand side, where we see the righteousness of Christ given through word and sacrament. So those, those are the first two that's the first distinction we really must make when we're talking about how should we think about this war. Mm-hmm. How does an understanding of of the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left in our in our Lutheran understanding, as we have a, a maybe a different understanding than than other denominations, how does that understanding help us when we're faced with these difficult situations that that happen in the world like this? Yeah, it it causes us to take a step back and and ask, at least it does for me, what are these two kingdoms even for? You know, what is government for? What is the purpose of government according to Holy Scripture? And especially as it relates to fighting in war. And then again, what is the purpose of the kingdom of the right? What is it for? And so the first one is on the left-hand side, the aim is that God has instituted a government and a family, so that there might be achieved on earth a measure of justice and peace, never perfect justice and never perfect peace, so that the gospel might be preached on the right-hand side, which is built on the atonement of Jesus Christ, where we are united with God through his sacrifice on the cross, but through faith in that sacrifice. So we have to treat both sides if we're talking about just war. Sadly, with the the birth of the modern nation state following the Thirty Years' War ending in 1648, most theologians went away of secular philosophers and said, well, when we're talking about just war, 
We're just talking about what's happening on a battlefield that you can see with your eyes. But there's another great battle, a greater battle, which is happening, which, which we cannot see with our eyes, but which the eyes of faith see. I want to look at and compare this, this secular philosophy with this understanding of, of two kingdoms in, in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to understand the foundation for where we get this teaching of two kingdoms, or, or is there other language that we use besides two kingdoms to even describe this, this relationship? Absolutely. And sometimes we talk about kingdoms, realms, spheres, or ways of God's working, but really it, it comes down to the Word of God in Holy Scripture, and most especially crystal clear distinctions made by Jesus Christ and his apostles. You know that the enemies of Christ attempted to trap him by saying they, they brought a coin and said, Jesus, is it right for us Jews to pay taxes to Caesar? And they're thinking, well, if he said, no, it isn't right, well, then Christ might be might be imprisoned and even executed by the Roman authorities, which would please the adversary as well. And if he said, yes, it is right, then that would be a grave offense to the people. So Jesus said, please show me the coin. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk concrete, concretely. And he, said, and he asked, whose likeness and inscription do you find here? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, well, correct. Then you give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God." God, the image is how Caesar is known. And that image, of course, in terms of the kingdom of the left, is the use of coercive force, where we, the government protects what is right and punishes what is wrong, and it uses law and reason in that process, but force. And the inscription, I mean, where, where the coin valid? It's valid in externals. But Jesus retained the divine genitive that, that is to say, he said, and you give to God possessive what is God. And so what do we give to God? We give to God. We honor Christ. We value his word and sacrament. We believe in his atonement, which means that we're reconciled with all people through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that this is valid in all internals, the works of faith, what we believe, what we teach, what we say. So that's, that's an important distinction. So as we look at the, the war in Ukraine, we have to say, is it on the kingdom of the left? Are authorities prosecuting this war in a God-pleasing way? And on the kingdom of the right, are we as Christians uh, praying, working to bring the love of Christ to those who are suffering? And even praying for our enemies as Jesus taught us. So there are always two dimensions when we talk about a just war. I, I mean, all, I think it's pretty clear that Putin, in the invasion of Ukraine, thought that he would be met by hearing Russian-speaking folks, and so this would not be shown to be a war of aggression. However, the determined fight against the Russian invasion belies that argument and shows that it is truly a war of aggression. And traditionally, we say that is not a just war. So, let's talk. That yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've mentioned we brought up a just war a few times, and so I want to I want to talk about that for just a little bit. I, I know there's a lot that goes into what it actually means. There are these principles that that go into what just war actually means. Can you give us 
what these principles are and, and an overview of what they mean when we're, when we're considering whether a war is a just war. Absolutely. Within the kingdom of the left just war tradition, there are a number of principles, maybe seven, maybe six, maybe eight, depends on who articulates them. But for a war to be just, and by that we're saying use on bellum, what are the principles which a state should use to determine if it is actually going to war in a just way? Those principles would be legitimate authority. Has the legitimate authority of the state decided for war? Is there a just cause? Is there a just intent simply to fight so far as the just cause has been mitigated and then to stop? Is the war a last resort? Has there been a public declaration? These are principles given to the state so that it could think about reasonably if a war would be just. Then there's, there are other, when you're actually fighting the war, there are other principles that tell the military how it should fight if it's to fight justly. That would be discrimination aiming only to kill combatants, not non-combatants or innocent civilians, and proportionality, using weapons which cause destruction proportional to a target's importance. So, for example, you would not want to drop a nuclear weapon on key to kill a single sniper who was shooting at your soldiers. That would be unproportional. Really, and, and we, we really ought to locate where the just war tradition lies. Some people are pacifists. Pacifism says that no war is ever worth it. And some are, are realists, which say, well, might make, makes right, and you can do anything you want in war. But the just war tradition is a tradition which seeks to balance those two, and it's in the middle. And it says that there will be times when the state will turn to military power to make a better, hopefully more lasting peace. And so it pursues a, a sad work of waging war so that there will be a more just peace on the other side. But not in, so it, it, it locates itself between pacifism, which says war is always wrong, and realism, which says you can do whatever you want in war because there are no morals. It's just the strong one prevails. Mm -hmm. Do we as Lutherans come at this just war theory, or even as Christians come at this from a different place than people who are outside of the church? Absolutely. Um, I, I think of so many of the church fathers who, when they preach sermons about war to soldiers, would say, let not an evil heart or hate kill, but only sad necessity. We need to be able to have a heart which is open toward reconciliation and love for the neighbor. Even those in a country that they should be fighting the United States because they are people redeemed by Christ. The modern just war tradition is to such thought and boils it down only to principles for waging war and deciding to go to war. Quite oversimplification, but it's true. However, I will say within the just war tradition today, there is an, a reopening of openness to the spiritual component. 
which Christians always have, a, a heart of faith toward God and love toward the neighbor. And this, this opening for us, for adding back in what was always there initially for Christians, the spiritual component of just war, is coming from what has been usually called these days moral injury. That means the pain that results when a soldier violates his conscience in combat by what he does or by what he fails to do. And so this suggests that soldiers actually seek a spiritual justification before God and in their soul for their sins or crimes of conscience. This opens the way for the word of absolution. And soldiers above all others know instinctively that there must be a Christ. I say this because when a soldier fights on a battlefield, he's fighting to protect his comrade to his left and to his right. And so he knows that it is out of love for, for the ones on, his, on either side that he's willing to lay down his life. So there's an instinctive connection with the Christ who says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. Soldiers do that in the kingdom of the left sense for those in their formations. But we Christians know why this is a compelling truth, because it's knit into the fabric of creation. And it is what our heart needs to find the one, to love him, to trust him, and to follow him, the one who laid down his life for us, to unite us with God through the cross of his sacrifice. We're talking with Reverend Dr. Jonathan Shaw, Director of Church Relations for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of a great article on the Lutheran Witness on the Russia-Ukraine War. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsak. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Shaw, Director of Church Relations for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, author of a great article in The Lutheran Witness, The Russia-Ukraine War, taking a look at the issue of just war. Now, earlier in the program, Dr. Shaw, you mentioned this the, the rise of this secular philosophy regarding just war. When, what did that secular philosophy rise out of, and what, what was common practice prior to the rise of that secular philosophy? Prior to, okay, prior, well, let's just say all the way back to the, be, to the beginning of the faith, and here I mean the Christian faith, which includes the Old Testament, as they look forward to the Christ. There was a heart of trust in God and love toward neighbor 
we've treated the neighbor with the dignity as one created by God. And when war was necessary, we look at certainly beginning in the apostolic age, we find the apostles counseling Christians to obey those over them on the temporal side, to pray for them, and indeed to fight for them. St. Augustine, when the Vandals were invading North America, preached the famous sermon where he said to his congregation, it won't be no good for you merely to pray for the Roman soldiers who are fighting on your behalf. These prayers are good, but you must do your part too. You must fight alongside the Romans for the sake of preserving the society, the government, the families, and even our churches, which stand here. So there was a, a close, closely knit commitment to honoring Christ and his word and showing love to neighbor on the one side. And on the other hand, in the kingdom of the left, obeying government officials, even when they persecuted the church and being willing to serve in the various offices of government and society for the benefit of the neighbor. So it was, it was both and. And you see that in, uh, you know, I served for 39 years as a chaplain. You see that in the historic sermons of Christian chaplains on various campaigns. And in the 30, in 1555, the Peace of Augsburg was struck between the confessional Lutherans and the Roman Catholics. And in this, the result of this war was Christians should be free to emigrate to a land which is led by a ruler of that individual faith. So Lutherans could go, if they were in a Catholic province, they could go to where there was a Lutheran prince and practice freedom of religion and vice versa. In 1648, following a brutal 30 years, this expended untold manpower in Europe, which you can imagine fighting for 30 years, also with resident plague. And the result of it was that there would be freedom of religion for everyone. You could believe and practice what you wanted, at least nominally. However, the government would cease to be religious. It would be secularist. That was the general trend. So then when princes and the king and other sovereign authorities moved to go to war, they did not consider the faith aspects of war. And that was, that's what happened beginning in 1648. So when you read textbooks today and they quote Augustine, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Aquinas, and other, and other church fathers who spoke on just war, they delete, they omit in their text references which are spiritual and only talk about secularist uh, principles of using force. That is very, very interesting. I appreciate that historical context of of these two kingdoms, the just war, all of that sheds a, a, a much better light on everything that's happening now. So taking all of this that we've talked about, how do we understand the Russia-Ukraine war, analyzing it, whether it is a just war? Well, from the traditional kingdom of the left side of just war, wars of aggression 
which this patently is regarding Russia's invasion of Ukraine, are not just. And flipping, flipping the coin to the other side, that means that Ukraine is certainly just in its actions to defend its own people and sovereign territory. I understand that there are disagreements, especially among certain Russians, that this is actually, if you go back far enough, this is Russian terrain. And so we're only now claiming what used to be Russian territory. And in that sense, it is just. That said, we simply have to say that a sovereign state had been previously established in Ukraine. The people understood it that way. They were ruling, they were protecting the right and punishing evil. Not perfectly, no one does. No nation does. But it was a sovereign nation, so it's a war of aggression on Russia's part, in, in my estimation. Now, that said, there's, there is certainly room for disagreement about what the USA and the other Western nations should do. Uh, some people might say, well, you know, this is a tragedy, and indeed, it's, it's barbarous the way civilians have been intentionally killed, sometimes even executed by Russian soldiers. What does this mean? Should we send troops on the ground into Ukraine to train soldiers? Should we fly air support? Should we actually put soldiers on the ground? Should we focus only on humanitarian aid? Or, as the president and Congress are currently doing, should we give lethal arms and increasingly lethal, those that, which can kill at a tremendous standoff distance, should we give these to Ukraine so that they can fight more effectively? These questions, for these questions, there is no single Christian right or wrong answer. Christians, as, all, as with all citizens, will either agree or disagree. They'll say, well, these, this is an important and just a purpose in arming the Ukrainians, but there's a limit to how much money we have, what are the available resources, are there certain risks or other priorities that we think are even more important. So Christians need to discuss this. They need to let their voice be heard in the public square. And as always, they must vote, uh, especially in Western-style democracies. The old citizens finally need to enter the discussion, and by their vote, they give a long-term direction to these questions. We honor God-given authority. We obey our civilian authorities. And we want to do what we can to empower them to defend the good, to punish evil, and work toward a better, more just peace. Is there anything we can be doing as a church, or, or what should we be doing as a church? Yeah, and I think we need to, as a church, first and foremost, as the body of Christ in this world, believing that Christ has reconciled us to all, we need to make sure that we preach the Word of God for all to the greatest extent that we can. We need to pray for peace in this world, most especially the peace which the world cannot give in Christ. We need to pray for an end of hostilities. We need to remember the soldiers, the civilians, the people who are wounded and dying on both sides. We want to be good neighbors to all that means to the extent we can, giving humanitarian aid and support. And we do that in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, through our partners and international 
friends in other church bodies. We are helping refugees. We're giving body armor. We're giving food. We're helping underwrite the cost of pastors going into harm's way to bring the word of God in the sacraments to the Christian, the Christians who are there. So we need to continue to do that. And I'm thankful for the witness in word and in deed of the Missouri Synod as we really try to keep both lines of love flowing toward those who need it. On the one side, the word of the sacrament, and on the other, protecting the lives of the countless refugees, those who are wounded, by helping to bring food and drink to the least of these. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Shaw, Director of Church Relations for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, author of the Russia-Ukraine War article in the Lutheran Witness, the June-July issue. Thank you so much, Dr. Shaw, for being our guest on The Coffee Hour. It has been a great privilege. Keep up your tremendous work, and God bless us all in these difficult days. But we know Christ is King. He reigns, and soon He will come for us. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.